0: To see you guys. All right, so here's a question for you. Have you ever been your own worst enemy? And the answer is yes, okay? (laughs) You have been your own worst enemy. You know, maybe not in some major area or some major decision that undermined your whole future, but at some point in time, we have all become our own worst enemy. Yeah, I remember back right before I was going to seminary, I needed to get a new car. And since I was planning to live in Denton and commute into Dallas, I wanted to get a very fuel efficient vehicle. And I became obsessed with little Honda CRXs. Remember those? There was the HF variety. Got like 40 to 50 miles to the gallon. I was like, oh, that'll be so cool. And I just knew I had to track down one that I could afford, a used one. And, and I found a deal in the Thrifty Nickel. Okay, you guys over 50, remember the Thrifty Nickel? <laughs> it was the old school equivalent of Craigslist. And It was only $4,500. I mean, just too good to be true, right? Yeah, right, exactly. It was too good to be true. And rather than take it to a mechanic or do something intelligent like that, I decided to use my vast knowledge of automobiles and just inspect this car myself, which if you know me, you're laughing on the inside right now. I know as much about cars as I do quantum physics or something, but Anyway, so I met this guy at a 7-Eleven convenience store in the middle of the night to inspect the car, all right? And I walked in, I, I wanted to appear intelligent, so I, yeah, yeah, would you pop the hood for me? And, and there was what looked like an engine in there. I'm like, okay, that's cool, right? Good, good. Then I sat in the driver's seat, turned the key, and boom, started up. And so I'm like, this car is awesome. And, and looking back, you know, there were warning lights going off, But I kind of ignored those warning lights because I really, really, really wanted that car. Long story short, I I bought the car. It had been in an accident, had all sorts of issues, so a major nightmare, okay? And I know that we all have some interesting look back and laugh kind of stories. But have you ever seen someone who really did this up big time? I mean, like they became their own worst enemy in their career. Or they became their own worst enemy in their marriage or with their finances or in a relationship with their children. And, and when you step back and you watch it happening, it's so easy to see from the outside, isn't it? You're like, you're doing this to yourself. And when you watch that happen, you think the same thing that I think. You think, well, you know what? They may undermine their whole future, right? Their career, their marriage. You know, they may undermine their finances, but I would never do anything like that, Right? Well, here's what I know to be true of all of us. And I'm speaking to me as well. Every single one of us, we have the potential to become our own worst enemy. And the reason I know that's true is because you were involved in all the bad decisions you've ever made, okay? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, you participated in 100% of your bad decisions. In fact, you were the mastermind behind a lot of those bad decisions. And a single bad decision can be the first step to becoming your own worst enemy. It doesn't happen all at once. It unravels over time. And it starts with simple, small things. It starts with a single bad decision. Because here's the truth. Every habit begins with the first time. And every pattern begins with the first line and every journey begins with the first step and so we all have the potential to become our own worst enemy if we're not careful and in this series what i want to do is i want to give you 3 things that you can begin to apply in your life today that are going to help ensure that you don't become your own worst enemy yeah i want to help you to avoid those major things the things that can wreck and ruin whole seasons of your life where you look back and you wish you could go back and do your 20s over or your 30s your 40s your 50s You look back and you wish you could do a first marriage over. You wish you could do a first career over. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus doesn't say specifically, don't become your own worst enemy. But in his teachings, he's very, very clear about this principle. In fact, in one of his most famous parables, Jesus said this. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice becomes his own worst enemy. He didn't use those words, but here's what he said. It's pretty similar is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And he goes on to say, when the storm comes in, he realizes he has no one but himself to blame for the poor foundation of his home. See, this is the principle, and it potentially impacts all of us. And Jesus goes right to the heart of it. And so the first thing we need to do to help ensure that we don't become our own worst enemy is to pay attention to the tension. Pay attention to the tension you know whenever you're considering any option any invitation any choice you're about to make okay if that option you're considering causes any sense of hesitation like a little bit of pause a little bit of tension if it in any way dings your conscience stop and pay attention to that tension you know don't start selling yourself start listening because here's what happens as soon as you see something you really really want Or there's an invitation you want to participate in. Or there's an option that kind of ignites an appetite. You know, what do you do? Well, you do the same thing that I do. You start selling yourself on that, right? And the interesting thing is we will create lies and then choose to believe our own lies. You know, and I think human beings are the only, you know, animal, whatever, beings that capable of doing this. But we make things up, and then we choose to believe those things we make up. And here's how I know this is true. If in any, like, retail environment, if a salesperson in a retail environment used the same sales pitch on you that you use on yourself, (laughs) you would become so offended you would walk out of that establishment. I mean, imagine you're standing there negotiating, considering a purchase, and and the guy says, well, you know what? If you get home and decide you don't like it, you could always just donate it, right? Uh, How many times does that run through your mind, maybe when you're about to purchase something online? Or, or, you know what? Yeah, I see you've got one that does everything that this one does, but this one's newer, right? Are you get that person and go, really? That's your pitch? That, that's it? You know? But that's the kind of stuff we tell ourselves all the time. Or how about this? Yes, siree, it's wrong. Just don't tell anyone. You know, listen to the self talk, because you have self talk that goes on. The narrative that you're creating, we can't afford to start selling ourselves. Instead, we need to pay attention to the tension. And this is the habit right here. <clears throat> the moment you start selling yourself, hit pause. Like the moment you start creating an internal narrative as to why something is okay, it's justifiable, it's permissible, hit the pause button and say, oh, I'm doing it again. You know, I'm making stuff up and believing that stuff so that I can do something. And if you remember nothing else, remember this, we rarely have to sell ourselves on a good idea you know, you rarely have to talk yourself into knowing when something's the right thing, the wise thing, the prudent thing to do. Now, there's a fascinating piece of narrative in the Old Testament, and it's one of the most detail-ridden stories in the entire Bible, and it illustrates this whole idea of paying attention to the tension. And I want to walk you through this this morning. It actually revolves around the second king of Israel, King David, but it takes place before David became the king. Now, you may remember the story of King David. King David steps into the pages of history as a young shepherd boy, but then he steps into the spotlight when he kills Goliath. Remember the story of David and Goliath, where David becomes legendary almost overnight because he's this young, young man who takes on this giant Philistine warrior who is mocking and taunting the armies of Israel. But in David's mind, he's thinking, hey, buddy, You're not just taunting the armies of Israel, you're taunting the armies of God. And God is just looking for a volunteer to shut you up, and I am that volunteer. And boom, suddenly he's famous. Well, King Saul, he's the king at the time, the first king of Israel, he brings David in close because David's become like a legend. In fact, he gives him military prominence, and over time he marries him off to one of his daughters. So now Saul, the king, is David's father-in-law okay? But over time, David gets more and more and more popular. And Saul starts to realize, ooh, my dynasty is threatened here because everybody may want David to become the next king. In fact, there was even a rumor circulating that David had actually been anointed as the next king as a little kid because, in fact, he had. So suddenly, Saul's not so fond of David, even though he's married to his daughter. In fact, Saul used his daughter to try and manipulate David. And then Saul decided, I got to take David out. But Saul said, no, I'm not going to kill him personally. What I'm going to do is I'm going to keep sending him out to fight the Philistines. And eventually, the odds are the Philistines will take care of David. Well, none of Saul's tactics worked. So David becomes more and more and more popular. And then one afternoon, King Saul loses his temper and tries to kill David. So David flees the city. I mean, he can't go home. That would endanger his family. So he leaves and he becomes an outlaw. And because he's so famous, all of a sudden, the fugitives in the region around that land, I mean, those that were related to the Hebrews, at least, they started following David. And the next thing you know, he's got his own band of merry men, right? And eventually becomes like a small army. But it's an army without a home because they're all outlaws. Well, meanwhile, Saul has spies everywhere on the lookout for David. He's trying to track him down. He needs to eliminate David before he dies so that his son Jonathan can become the next king rather than David. And then one day, he gets a report that David and his men have been spotted near the desert region of En Gedi. Okay, 10 years ago or so, I was in Israel, and we took a picture here of the caves of En Gedi. (coughs) Check it out there. There you go. This is where David and his men were hiding out, a barren mountainous wasteland near the Dead Sea with a few oases here and there. And so the text tells us that Saul took 3,000 men with him. That's way more than he needed to defeat David. But again, David's known as a mighty warrior, famous for his ability to fight in open places. And so Saul sets out with these men to look for David. And the text says they arrive at a place called the Crags of the Wild Goats, and there was a cave there. If you've been in that region of Israel, there are caves everywhere. We're going to pick up the story here. Listen to 1 Samuel 24.3. It says, he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself, okay? So Saul goes into this cave to use the restroom, all right? Fun fact, maybe, this is the only time I think that I could find the Scripture of a particular individual using the restroom going to the bathroom in the Bible, all right? It is. I'm like, how am I going to deal with this text, right? Hey, There's a reason it's here. This is a strategic part of the story. Otherwise, the author wouldn't have included it here, okay? So, this is a very important part of the story. And I want you to get the the big picture. You got 3,000 fighting men, and then you've got a long caravan, which would have included a lot of civilian followers, wagons, food. I mean, this is a big ordeal. And Saul decides that he has to go to the bath. all right? Now, if you're a regular soldier in the army and you got to go, you just got to deal with it, okay? But if you're the king, you can stop the whole caravan and get off your mule. And that's what Saul does. And so he climbs up to this cave to go do his business while the rest of the caravan just waiting. And, and this is where the story gets interesting, okay? takes a very interesting turn here. <laughs> the verse goes on to say, David and his men were far back in the cave. Like, what? Are you kidding me? I mean, David and his men are actually in that very cave that Saul chose to stop and use as his private bathroom, right? And, and they're far back in the cave. I mean, what are the odds of that? Hey, there aren't even any odds. I've been to Getty. There are jillions of caves there. I mean, you talk about winning the lottery. God's smiling on you. This is like a best case scenario. This was an answer to David's prayers. And just picture this. Now, David, he's been in the cave, right? So you know what's going on. His eyes have adjusted. Saul is just walking in the cave. He can't see a thing. And so he goes in just far enough to kind of do his business, right? And when he walks in, he's just like a silhouette. But David and his men, they're looking at each other, and they just cannot believe what they're seeing in that moment. It's like, no way is this really and truly happening here. So you got to ask the question, what is going through their minds in that moment? What is going through their minds? I mean, David's been an outlaw for quite a while, just living out in the hills. What is going through David's mind? I mean, clearly God had delivered his enemy literally into his hands. David knows He's anointed the next king of Israel. Everybody's waiting for him to step up, and the only thing standing in the way of King David being King David was Saul. And there he is, vulnerable, helpless, easy prey. And if you don't think that was running through David's mind, we know it was running through his men's minds because the text says that they whispered to David far back in the cave this Is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hand for you to deal with as you wish. See, David for sure had told his men over and over and over again around the campfires at night, guys, just hang on. Please, just hang with me a little bit longer. Eventually, I will be the king. And when I become the king, I'm going to reward those of you who are most loyal to me during this difficult season. And so, right now, all the men are looking at him going, You were right. This is exactly what you said would happen. Now, we never expected it would happen this way, right? But this is like an answer to the prayers. And now the waiting's over. Kill the king and let's go home. You know, I asked the question, what if David had done that? What if David had killed Saul in that moment? Now, imagine what it would have been been like. Let's, Let's say you're on the outside of the cave, right? You're bored and yawning, just kind of waiting there for King Saul to finish his business. Every once in a while, you glance up at the cave. And King Saul went in, but then suddenly David steps out with the head of Saul in his hand. I mean, in that moment, everybody in that caravan would have immediately recognized David as the king of Israel. Hey, no civil war, very little bloodshed, lives spared. So can you imagine the, the energy, the emotion, the adrenaline going on in that cave? Can you imagine the pressure David felt to do something like that so that he and his men could finally go home? And besides, I mean, this had to be God's will, right? Couldn't be a coincidence. God had already declared David was going to be the next king. I mean, the pressure that David felt to act, we can't even imagine it. But the text tells us that in that moment, David felt something else. There was a tension. There was a hesitation that didn't make any sense in light of the circumstances. And so the Bible says that David pulls out his knife, and he creeps up slowly behind Saul, unnoticed, okay? And as he gets closer and closer to Saul, the tension intensifies. And all of his men are thinking, this is it. David's going to do it and end this madness. But you know what? David paid attention to that tension. And instead of killing Saul, he thought, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I'm about to murder the king. I and mean, God chose Saul. I can't replace what God put in place. And besides, this is going to be my legacy. Like This is going to be my story. I love the one they sing about David and Goliath. I'm not so sure I want this story turned into a song. Like, I don't want this to be the story I have to tell my grandchildren, you yeah? granddaddy, tell us again how you became king. We love that story, right? You snuck up behind old King Saul and slid his throat while he was using the potty, right? Tell us that story again. David's like, is, is that the story I want to tell? He's conscience-stricken. And somehow, somehow, in the midst of all that energy and all that testosterone and all that adrenaline, David was able to stop long enough to pay attention to that tension. And it saved him from becoming his own worst enemy because in that moment, he was about to become the man who murdered the first king of Israel, who murdered his own father-in-law. You know, afterwards, I'm sure he realized, whew, no wonder there was a tension. No wonder there was a hesitation there. And so David, he sneaks up behind Saul and just cuts off a corner of his robe and then goes back into the cave. Now, David's men, right, they're hiding back that they can't believe this. I mean, now David has some explaining to do, right? I mean, this was the perfect opportunity. I mean, we can finally go home, no longer a price on our heads. David, what are you doing? Listen to what David said to his men. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. Say what, David? Three minutes ago, he he wasn't your master, the Lord's anointed. Three minutes ago, he was your enemy. What happened? And and then the men said, okay, i tell you what, we'll we'll take care of it. Okay, we understand. If you don't want the blood on your hands, we get it. Just let us. Give the word. We'll go do it. The text says, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. We're so close, though right? So close. And here's a question for you. Are, are you close? Are you considering something and, and selling yourself on it? And your, your wife, she's not so sure. Your, your husband's not so sure. Some of your friends are like, really? But then others of your friends are like, yeah, you should go for it. And you are so, so close. Like, is it possible that right now, <laughs> and some of you can't believe I'm even talking about this. You're like, what? This is exactly what I'm going through but come on. I mean, be honest. You don't have to be honest with anybody but yourself, okay? You know, you lie to yourself a lot. Try to be honest in this moment. Are you considering some bad idea and you're ignoring your conscience? Like, is there an inner hesitation you're ignoring? Are you selling yourself on a decision that's going to follow you and make you a liar for the rest of your life, a part of your story you won't want anyone to know? Like You won't want to tell it to your kids. You'll skip over it with your grandkids. Are you on the verge of becoming your own worst enemy? If so, can I, can I make a suggestion? You know, I'm not the boss of you. right? I can't tell you what to do. But can I just make a suggestion? Hit pause. Stop selling yourself. And just listen, listen, listen to the wiser voices around you. And perhaps listen to that still, small voice inside of you going, this is not the best thing to do. Because maybe, I don't know, but maybe it's the whisper of God who loves you and is doing everything he can to keep you from becoming your own worst enemy. So Saul, the text says, exits the cave. He has no clue how close he came to joining all of his dead ancestors. And he walks back down, he gets on the mule, and then he hears a voice it's a familiar voice. And it's coming from the direction of the cave he just exited. So everybody's head turns, and there at the mouth of the cave that Saul just walked out of is David, flanked by his men. And get this, David bows down in honor of the king. But then he stands up, and he holds the corner of Saul's robe. And in that moment, everybody there knew who the better man was. It was David. And then David, he he goes into this lengthy speech, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but at the end of it, he says to Saul, may the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. Say, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm not going to take matters into my own hands. Because David listened to that still, small voice, that tension, that hesitation in a moment when most people would have paid no attention. David decided not to use Saul's bad behavior as an excuse for bad behavior. Let me say that again. David decided not to use Saul's bad behavior as an excuse for bad behavior. Now, what about you? You know, are, are you considering behaving badly based on someone else's bad behavior or what they did to you, or what they're thinking about doing to you, or what everybody else around you is doing? Are you considering becoming like someone you don't even like? Remember, we rarely have to sell ourselves on the right thing to do. Very rare. So now, all eyes have turned from David to Saul. And he's completely humiliated by David. But the interesting thing is, he's not humiliated by David's military skills. He's humiliated by David's character, David's self-control, David's humility. And Saul has no choice at that point. He he turns his army around and heads back to Jerusalem. Folks, that's the power of paying attention to the tension. So when you encounter tension, you start selling yourself. What do you do? Hit pause. Just hit pause. And you might think to yourself, oh, i just got an overactive conscience here. Maybe, but maybe not. Either way, hit pause. You know, if there's something that someone else puts their finger on and you're mad because they brought it up, but you can't get it off your mind, it's bothering you, here's my advice, let it bother you. Sit with that tension. Don't rush by it. That tension may be God's way of keeping you from becoming your own worst enemy. You don't want to make that first bad choice because, after all, every habit begins with the first time, and every pattern begins with the first line, and every journey begins with the first step. So let's say there's something that bothers you about another person that you're around. Okay, let it bother you. Maybe there's something that kind of bothers you about this deal you're about to strike. Okay, let it bother you. Maybe there's something that bothers you about a set of circumstances or an invitation. Whatever it is, don't rush by it. Sit on it. Let it bother you. Face it until you either find that it goes away or you go in a different way because hear me on this, oftentimes what begins as simply an uneasy feeling that you have eventually becomes something that is backed by wisdom and reason and insight. You know, it's that moment that David had as he snuck up behind Saul, and suddenly it's like, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. What? I mean, yes, in one context, this makes perfect sense. But in another context, I'm about to murder my own father-in-law. What was I thinking? I'd like for you to make a commitment this morning. And in each of these sermons throughout this series, we're going to ask for a commitment. And the first commitment is simply this. Would you be willing to pause until you pinpoint the cause? Pause until you pinpoint the cause. Like I'm going to explore, why is this bothering me? Why do I feel uneasy right now? Everybody else says it's okay. Everybody else does it. Is there a tension that deserves your attention? If so, pay attention, because that'll be a decision that'll lead to fewer regrets, a decision that may keep you from becoming your own worst enemy. Pray with me. Lord, I want to thank you so much for this incredible story that you recorded for us in the Old Testament. And it teaches us that in a moment, something can appear right, and we can sell ourselves on those things, But so often, there's some tension there. There's some hesitation. And I pray that whenever we feel that, whatever we're doing, we would hit pause. That we would not allow ourselves to just start coming up with all these ideas and reasons and justification. But instead, we would try to figure out, why is there a tension here? Because we rarely have to sell ourselves on good ideas. God, would you help us to pause until we pinpoint the cause? Just sit on it and wait and pray to you, and ask you for wisdom. God, my prayer this morning for each and every one of us, myself included, is that we would not become our own worst enemy, because so often we do. But God, by the power of your Holy Spirit living in us, and our conscience, and those things, you speak to us, and oftentimes we just need to be listening. We just need to pay attention to the tension. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we dismiss today, let me just encourage you this week, as you go out and there's a hesitation, there's a pause, there's tension, pay attention to that tension. You know, hit pause until you pinpoint the cause. Have a great week, people.